Hello, welcome back to How the World Communicates. This week we will be talking about insects and the way that they can talk to each other. I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Rafael Rodriguez Sevilla, who is a professor at the university that I attend, which is the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee. Dr. Rodriguez is a professor of biological sciences here, and he has devoted his work towards research about insect communication. More specifically, he has looked into substrate-borne vibrational signals that are sent between insects um, in their mating patterns and just generally in how they communicate. I was able to learn some really fascinating things from Dr. Rodriguez about these insects and the way that they can talk to each other and send signals that are so unique to their own species. So to put your curiosity at ease, here is my conversation with Dr. Rodriguez. Hello. Hi. Nice to meet you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to meet with me and talk to me about your work. So do you just kind of want to give sort of an overview of what you're, you've been working on? Mm -hmm. A lot of my research is on communication in insect communication, but it's not the, you know, what we normally think of as insect sound, you know, like transmitted through the air, right? Like right now, these are pressure waves traveling and detected by, by pressure detectors. That form of sound, you know, most insects have, have relatively boring, simple signals, right? Very repetitive, very broadband frequency content, you know, the kind of all, all night long kind of thing. But there's a whole other kind of sound, which is sounds transmitted, transmitted through solids. So, for example, insects on a plant stem sending vibrations along the plant stem. Some people refer to it as vibrational signaling or se seismic signaling kind of thing. They could be, they could be calling their brains out and you, you're just standing next to the bush and you hear nothing. You have to somehow monitor the movement of the, of the substrate. What modes have you taken to measure these vibrations? Uh, so one, one aspect is record and, and describe causes of variation and you know, test for different causes of variation. You can have a stem, a laser shining and reflecting of it. And that is, it's a non-contact method. So you're not touching anything to the stem. You're not altering any of the transmission features of that substrate. If you want to go super simple, you can just bite the stem and then you, your bones would connect, would conduct that to your ears. And then to, to, to then ask, well, how, how do they interact with these signals? We use uh, playback experiments. So we have you know, either recorded a sample of recorded signals or like synthetic ones made in the computer, play them back in part. And so we you know, touch something, shake, in effect, just shake the, the, the stem and impart signals on the stem and then have a, a test individual there and see how, how they respond. One super convenient thing has been that the, the pair formation communication system that they have has a, a duet between males and females. So, you know, males are fly flying from bush to bush, looking for females during the mating season. And they land on a new plant, make a, a produce a, a signal that's called an advertisement signal. And if there's a female on that bush, and if she's receptive, and if she likes them, she produces a response to that. 
and then they hold that while he that lets him know somebody's there that's interested and then that he starts searching i think i can play you that yeah so that is the male and that like i'm horrible at anthropomorphizing these critters like <laughs> she sounds like mm. so then that's you that that signals you may search for me uh -huh. and they also vary in how you know, so then the ocean can say quiet and then he, he goes away and but sometimes it's not hmm sometimes it's more like hmm let's see how you do so it, that means that by playing back signals to the you know to the plant with a the female there i can give her give them questionnaires like how do you like this guy hmm right it's almost like a psychology questionnaire as far as they're concerned you know it's a perfectly natural plant perfectly natural interaction so the the female is always the one that's kind of saying, yeah, you can come or no, you can't. Does the male have any different kind of call? Males also have, they have something they do when they're in, in you know, they, what I was telling you about is a low density mating system, flying, seeking from plant to plant. But sometimes you, you find them in, in large aggregations, you know, like 50 or, or more on a, on a single, you know, like half a meter stem. I actually have some some set aside to play. I That's four males on a potted plant in the lab chorusing. And they don't only do chorusing with that one signal type. They also have competitive signals. So ones that they over they purposely overlap the end of their rival call with kind of so, so as seemingly to ruin the the response that the female is going to give even within the the sexual competition mate mate searching component they have different signal types that they use in different types of competitive interaction uh but you know between juveniles they they're we found with just the local species here four different kinds of, of signals that juveniles use to, to communicate to each other. When you say local species, where where is this being like taking place? Uh, so, you know, Downer Woods? I do. We, we collect, the, that's one of our collecting sites along the Oak Leaf Trail. So, and they're on, on a super common understory kind of edge of the woods plant called Nannyberry. It's a bush to, to small tree. There's this this crazy behavior happening, and they're just so so well hidden, so well camouflaged that nobody knows about. So the way that these insects like take in this sound waves, is it the same way that we would hear a sound, or is it through more of a touch receptor? It's through the through the leg, right? So the you have an insect standing on on the on the substrate, like say on, on a stem, and they they have different across different species, there's different ways of producing the signals. Some have little, you know, uh, thimbles that, that they can use to stridulate. Some just, you know, move their thorax muscles and that directly imparts the vibration on the, uh, onto the stem. And then some other insects that stand, standing on the same structure, then the, their, their feet move, you know, it's, it's, they're super, super slight movements, right? But their feet move. And in the, the tibia, they, they have an organ that is sensitive to those vibrations. Um, like if you were sensing it, you'd, you'd be sensing it, um, you know, it's not, it wouldn't feel like it's coming through your ears, 
but it ends up being sound like we process sound. Because this kind of communication is so unique, I was wondering if it is something that these insects learn over the course of their life or if it is something that is more innate in them. I asked Dr. Rodriguez and this was his response. So we have, we've actually done the experiment rearing them, rearing individual nymphs in complete isolation, each one in a small plant, the, the entire life. And it, they, if you do that, they still develop their species typical signals and preferences. So they don't require experience to develop them, right? So it's innate in that sense. But the experience that they do have causes diff, causes variation in a little bit in the signals and but mostly in the, in the preferences. You know, innate doesn't mean hardwire. It means organized in advance of experience. So they have it in advance of experience, but the experience they have uh, can cause changes. Mm -hmm. So one of the interesting things was looking at is, well, what if, if purely the social context were, were, were able to initiate signal preference divergence, were able to, to initiate speciation? And we have some, some evidence that it, it can at least enhance prior, you know, initially existing differences. If their experiences can change how they will communicate, does that vary depending on like their habitat? Is it does it change like in different in different settings? The develop the environment offered by the host plant on which they develop mm -hmm. it makes a difference for signals and preferences, and the social grouping within which they develop makes it makes a signals for a difference for signals and preferences. Mm -hmm. So you know, we have a, a very blunt way of manipulating that, which is. You know, I don't know what about the environment is changing. I just have different genotypes. So, you know, uh, these, the, this nannyberry, the plant in which I live, it, you, it occurs in, in, in um, clone clumps out in the field. So, right, so you have this one, one clump is one single genotype. So we can take, take some, some shoot, shooters out, grow them in, in potter plants. So we have a replicated sample of different genotypes. And you rear them on those, and you get signal preference divergence according to the genotype of the host plant on which they developed. Right, so it's a black black box approach because I don't know what about those plants was differing. It's just that you know it was something connected to their genotypes. Mm. And then a similar experiment with neighboring the, their neighbors where different genotypes also causes signals mainly in the preferences. It causes differences mainly in the preferences. I see. So it's like they, re they respond to everything. Mm -hmm. When a different experiment we made is, so the, you know, the, um, right now the entire species is females laying eggs and the, the eggs go underneath the bark in, in the house plant. They covered it with a waxy, waxy protection. Then the entire species is about to go into overwintering in egg stage. And then in the spring, when the, the sap begins to flow through the through the plants, that the, the embryos that, that triggers embryo development, and then they, you know that's when the, the juveniles emerge. So they're early on in their life; they're super synchronized. You know, like everybody closes within a week, everybody molts to adult within a week, kind of thing. So once you get the adult molt, uh, within a couple of weeks of that, uh, the males start to signal and to search for females. But females take 
a couple more weeks before they start responding. Mm -hmm. So there's a, as a natural window of opportunity where they can hear what's available before they they start engaging with what's yeah. So like anytime we get a chance like that, like you know, I was saying like we can use their natural duetting system of communication to uh, to do experiments. We can use this natural window of experience to to do experiments. So we we had had experiments where you know young females were young adult females were given experience of here's you know like a population uh, average attractive signal. Here's a population average unattractive signal. Here's a mixture. Here's nothing. But if they have experience of uh, there is attractive or uh, available or a mixture, they get super selective. Like it strengthens their preference. Mm -hmm. They have experience of no no options available or only options available, then they get more tolerant. So they they like what they like, but they adjust for the you know they just well at least get a mating so there can be yeah. that kind of thing. Just the the sheer variety that their brains can accommodate and processes can generate and process. Right. We don't we don't think about how complex their processing systems are. Learning about these forms of interactions between insects through Dr. Rodriguez and his studies was definitely eye-opening. There are so many signals that are being sent between these creatures that are undetectable to us. Though we can't hear these vibrations, the messages that these insects send to each other play a vital role in the survival and continuation of their species. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode with Dr. Rodriguez and his studies of insect communications. I will include a link to his website, which includes abstracts and summaries of his studies, along with his publications and tons of other information on this topic. As always, thank you for listening and be sure to check back for more episodes on how the world communicates.